Welcome to this week's episode of the Python People podcast, uh, the home for global technology leaders to share insights with the tech community. Uh, my name is Guy Bevington. I'm the MD of True North Recruitment Group. And uh, this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Rolf Britton. Uh, Rolf, happy Friday. How the devil are you? I'm very well, thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Not a worry, not a worry at all. Um, thanks for coming on. And um, yeah, Rolf, you and I got chatting quite recently, and I think to sort of frame the episode today and, and um, put a bit of a, um, a theme over what we're going to talk about. So you are a uh, you know an experienced uh, data science professional um, who has particular knowledge and, and domain experience in the world of insurance. And you know, one of the things that I I love about data science really is understanding how it can be applied to specific use cases and, and solve particular problems in certain sectors. And with your extensive background in insurance, um, you know, you're somebody clearly uh, in a very unique position to share um, some real insight around how data science can be applied specifically to the actuarial world and you know, insurance pricing models and, and that kind of thing. So we thought, let's get together, have a bit of a chat and pick your brains on it and, um, and sort of, yeah, see what, what insights we can, uh, we can share. So, uh, before we, we kind of delve into that, uh, I'd like to invite you, if I may, just to you know, give us a brief um, background about yourself and, and your career bio to date, and, and we can go from there. Yeah, sure. So I guess um, taking it quite far back, just all when, I, when I graduated with a master's degree, didn't really know what I wanted to be doing, but I knew that the modules that I'd enjoyed more um, were the sort of more <clears throat> application modules, so statistical modelling, and also done some electives in sort of finance, so came across the actuarial career path um, and sort of tried applying to every graduate scheme under the sun, uh, had <laughs> sort of really, really quite poor success at that. Um, <laughs> and then as a, a slight change in tack, I sort of did a bit of an internship or some work experience at an insurance company and decided that actually it doesn't have to be actuarial, just like the insurance world has a lot of uh, interesting um, lots of interesting facets to it. So lots of interesting problems to solve from both a mathematical and also a societal perspective. So I just tried to pivot slightly, just decide to get a role in the insurance industry and then see where that took me. And I guess my first role was a bit of a foot in the door role um, in a support function. And then after about a year, moved to a team that was focused on risk pricing. Um, and I guess that was my first sort of role that did predictive modeling. But uh, back the back in those days, the, back five five six years ago, um, it was all you, all the data analysis was done in SAS uh, and sort of manually building GLN uh, generalized linear models uh, in quite a laborious manner. But I think I, I joined at a time where there was increased focus and excitement around what you can do with R and Python to really add loads of value of that using it, starting to use sort of data science techniques for sort of maybe the where the key buzz around data science was really starting to kick off and we started to really think about how we can use new open source technologies to build better predictive model models um, more efficiently um, and I think I was sort of a key I had a key role in the transformation that our risk pricing had from the more traditional methods to moving towards a more, more forward-looking um, advanced model forms um, so it's a key role as an analyst in that. And then uh, when my manager was promoted to head of data science for uh, the pricing team, 
I stepped into his manager's shoes and then followed him into the data science team after about another year. Um, so I hope that gives a sort of good background as to my uh, data science experience. A lot of it hasn't had the data science label, but um, has been applying data science techniques to, um, I guess, quite a traditional and long-standing uh, analytics and predictive modeling use case. Um, and really passionate about driving that forward and using the latest and greatest um, technologies and ways of doing things to deliver the most value there. Fantastic. Yeah, great stuff. Thank you very much. It's really interesting. And it's, 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 uh, it is always really interesting when you, you, you sort of think about data science and I guess you, you break it down into its constituent parts and a lot of the concepts actually that, that exist within the world of data science, you know, around analytics, statistical modeling you know the language even the languages like python you know they're not they're not new really if you think about it it's uh, a lot of these concepts have been around for a long time but it's just like you say the the, the whole kind of um frenzy that's that exists around the world of data science now is kind of a, a buzz label i guess it's, it's all of those things coming together isn't it in in one sort of uh approach or one sort of concept um which you know and the, the, the rise i guess of sort of new really interesting open source tools um you know that, that kind of have just really captured the imagination of a lot of people and uh, and now it really is you know for a lot of our clients kind of the, the beating heart or the driving change in in their sort of uh, tech um you know strategy is around the the you know employing data science and machine learning to, to sort of really turbocharge their um their business so uh yeah it's, it's actually really interesting when you kind of think about how it's come into different sectors and uh, certainly in the world of actuarial and um, insurance uh, you know I guess being a very numerate and sort of statistical based industry as it is um, you know you can certainly see how there is a real uh, need and um, you know, real value add that can come from employing data science in the right way so um, so yeah I guess with that in mind I mean do you want to talk us through then your experience so far of just how data science can be applied to um, you know, insurance pricing models. Yeah, so I think um, like the insurance pricing is probably one of the most well-established analytics use cases that there exists across many industries. And I, I, from my very biased point of view, I'd say probably one of the most pivotal uh, for the success of a company. Um, for for an insurance company, uh, personal say personal lines in the UK, who a lot of them sell their business almost exclusively through aggregators or, or price comparison websites, I should say, uh, pardon my jargon. Um, so yeah, they are price comparison websites. People go on there because they want to buy the quotes that offers them the cheapest price. So every one of these maybe 100 insurance companies is essentially bidding for business that they cannot know the true value of um, where the cheapest price wins. So where you have where where you can build a better predictive model than your competitor then you are going to really reap the rewards in that and through this process called uh, anti-selection so <clears throat> like in the sort of degenerative case where if a new insurer entered the market and they were selling all their policies for 500 pounds regardless of customer details then they would only ever pick up the business where all their competitors were quoting them 1,000, 1,500 pounds, the really risky new drivers, but riding, uh, riding uh, new drivers with a way over spec car, these people that you just really don't want. And but if they're not able to capture that risk through their pricing models, 
then they're going to have horrendous claims experience. Uh, they're going to go bust pretty quickly. Um, and so I think data science and the new techniques that it offers is kind of the logical conclusion to that. So I said, yeah, the, the sort of the null case where you charge everyone the same premium, that probably would have been where the market started 100 years ago. Um, and then from that, you have, you, you'd have your underwriters just doing, looking at one way trends and making manual adjustments to an 18 year old's price, loading it by 10%, etc, uh, just on a one way basis. And then that developed later on to looking at multivariate models, so linear regression, basically. Um, and now, how do you add more value to that structure? Um, and I think leveraging uh, model forms and data science technique that really give you a lot more predictive power and the ability to refresh your models uh, much higher cadence is the great way for most insurance companies I think to improve their predictive models that as I've tried to demonstrate I think is uh, absolutely key to, to their success mm -hmm. uh, to the point where I would almost describe it as a bit of an arms race between the different insurers a sort of yeah, a race to as quickly as possible build the latest models that give you the best discrimination between the risk of your potential customers um, and take into account the, the latest trends so that they can select against their competitors um, and, and really make, make, make massive profits off the back of that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, it becomes when you explain it like that, such a a real kind of uh, valid use case, isn't it, about how data science can genuinely give you a really competitive advantage if, if you know, use it in the right way. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, in your experience so far, uh, obviously a very specific use case around pricing models um, and things like that, but what other applications of data science do you feel excited about in the wider insurance sector um are there any kind of other areas that you feel um aside from pure um uh, calculation of price against risk um you know are there any other areas that you feel that can add real value uh, from what you're yeah so there are i guess uh, I, I think that quite a lot of insurers are focusing a lot now obviously also on their price obviously primarily on their pricing but then also uh in uh, like claims analytics so sort of the triaging of claims when they come in um, and trying to use data science or decision science to make the optimal offers for example for liability claims when you've got based on what solicitor is representing etc these things um, and using using these sort of techniques to improve the customer experience from that uh, and ultimately uh, cut down the expense burden from having to deal with these claims uh, which again allows you to offer cheaper prices which allows you to be more competitive um, and then the other area being uh, what I call sort of customer analytics so looking at the customer journey um, insurance isn't a proposition that most customers are particularly excited about it's uh, a requirement by uh, law or from their mortgage providers so they just want to ha they just want to have the easiest experience possible um, and sort of get out of the way and generally not think about it for another year um, so how can we learn about sort of what that experience means to the customer through the different touch points in their cycle and, and optimize that for that and make them 
wants to stay with with their current insurer um, i think is, a, is another key use case that is being explored uh, quite a lot at the moment i think there's one other as well that i think is my feeling is that it's being underutilized um so another key actuarial area for insurers is uh, reserving so that is making sure that you put enough money away basically to service the claims that you're expecting so for the <laughs> claims that occurred three months ago how much money do you need to put aside for them to to make sure that you can pay for the ultimate amount that they're going to settle at with the 95% probability or 99.5% probability um, and my feeling is that the techniques that are used that you know they they definitely work but they've been uh, used and reused and just refreshed every quarter for the last I don't know, maybe 50 years um, so I think looking to I think rethinking that um, it could be somewhere where you uh, get real value where you can actually predict where individual claims will settle at and then do that across your whole book rather than just considering your whole book and where that's going to end at um, so that is yeah, so it's something that I feel is like not currently explored, um, but it's somewhere where uh, a lot of value could be added. Um, yeah, but I, I would still say that um, the, the use case that I'm most excited about, uh, to use your words, is still uh, pricing. Uh, so uh, when I went through a sort of job search uh, process recently, um, I had to sort of think about whether or not I wanted to sort of double down on my pricing experience or try and get a bit more generalist data science experience maybe a slight little bit of a pivot but i think through that process uh, maybe this comes across when i'm speaking i realize you know I'm, I'm quite passionate about um the pricing use case and in particular the sort of competitive or almost combative uh, nature of it between the different insurers um so <laughs> yeah just sort of answer what i'm most excited about is probably still that <laughs> yeah absolutely I, mean, I could see definitely how that can be a really uh, fulfilling and exciting uh, area of data science and you know, solving that particular problem because uh, it's just so complex isn't it and like you say it's 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 so fiercely competitive um it's kind of a little margin for error so you know when you uh, you do build something that, that brings success. I can imagine it's an immensely fulfilling uh, feeling. Um, but no, it's really interesting actually talking about it in um, the different use cases and the different sort of applications of data science. I, mean, I can certainly see, you know, the whole customer um, analytics and the customer user experience and, and, and tracking that journey just from a, a consumer perspective. We recently went through uh we've got an, a new car and, and recently went through that whole you know um insurance process and um it, it is genuinely you know speaking personally that the most frictionless journey that you can experience is the one you're more likely to go with um and um yeah we all know insurance obviously being able to sort of cross sell different policies for um you know different different things is, is really key as well so finding a way where data science can really improve that customer journey to make it as smooth and in, enjoyable like I say I think, I think it's very um, um, related to other areas of financial services and really anything to do with money where customers are spending money because they, they have to making that process as smooth and, and frictionless as possible is always going to be a winner um, so yeah I can certainly see there's a lot of uh, a lot of value to be added there um, so yeah that's, that's actually really interesting so um, so I guess actuarial science you know clearly like I say it's been around for a long time it is it is a very specific um, type of you know sort of 
numerate um, analysis and numerate, numerate science. And what do you feel, I guess, can be learned the other way around? So not necessarily in terms of how data science is applied to the world of actuarial um, pricing, et cetera, but how do you feel maybe the other way around? What could other people in the data science world maybe take from the older kind of more mature science of um, actuarial science? You know, do you feel there's any kind of lessons that can be learned the other way? Yeah, definitely. I think you spoke before about sort of how these actuarial techniques are, are very long-standing, and I think maybe they, you know the, the original data scientists in the 1700s, uh, sort of collecting mortality data um, and building statistical models um, off of that to, to better pool life insurance risk. Um, you know, that's obviously been around for 300 years, so it's sort of very well, um, again, a very well established use case um, and building a whole sort of society or, or faculty around that uh, is I don't know, really interesting. And I was sort of, if, when thinking about when we were going to have this chat, sort of thinking about whether or something like that could be feasible for, for data science. I'm, I'm not sure it is because I think data science, sort of these key issues, or not key issues, one of the key things about it is that it's not a protected characteristic. Uh, there are so many job titles that like, uh, are now labelled as data science because you know, that, that is what they're doing. But it's sort of, or it's not very well defined. Well defined, you know, you could have uh, ML engineer, statistician. Um, my old team is called like pricing innovation, which is now rebranded and rightly so, I think, as data science because that, that's what we're doing. Um, but then, if you contrast that to the actuarial world, where you have this very protected characteristic and with kind of quite really high barriers to entry so you know if someone is a credential factory you know that they've very very well trained very uh you know that to pass those exams they have to be a very fast learner which i think is, is crucial with the rate of change in data science uh you know that they've got a, a really solid footing in the basics and all the underlying principles for like probability and statistics um, and then you also know that they, they've uh, got a high amount of discipline to actually uh, be able to succeed um, through that exam process, which is, is quite strenuous and I think, uh, yeah, discipline key determinants. And then you've also got um, things that, that sort of test other areas where data science and actuarial science overlap. So uh, for you've got specific exams which will test your ability to communicate um effectively and then also build models which are just uh, excel models but uh, build models in a way that is auditable um and can be tracked easily by your colleagues which are which are key um skills so i don't think it's well i would be interested to hear, hear your views you know, do you think there could be any sort of uh, industry-wide data science body that could sort of I don't know, represent data scientists um, and also make sure that data science is represented properly um, in the media because it, it does get a lot of attention at the moment, not all of it positive for things like facial recognition, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Actually. I mean, I had no idea, just uh, you'll get back to a point about, you know, um, qualifications in the actuarial world where you know, there's, there's exams around like effective communication and things like that. So uh, that's uh, pretty uh, interesting. Is that around sort of how clearly you can communicate the, the points? Obviously, there's no miscommunication. Is, is that the, the, the premise of that? Or? Yeah, so... Uh... The, the, lots of the, the exam will be 
you get sort of uh, a five page brief um, and then you have to put out a communication that sort of summarizes that uh, well and make sure the salient points are gotten across in a 500 word brief. Um, that's the sort of crux of, of, of that exam. I see. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, it's all these things you don't really, uh, I guess, know until you're in that kind of scenario. But uh, but no, I mean, let's go back to your point about um, could there be some kind of external body? I mean, I guess data science, I still feel in many ways, it, as I say, it is becoming a real driving force in in lots of uh, businesses. But it's still really, it's quite an esoteric concept that obviously there's so many different disciplines and areas of data science and like you said there's so many people that label themselves data scientists but actually when you kind of lift up under the hood and really understand okay what are they actually doing um you know it, it isn't always necessarily um data science in many ways in my opinion actually what what they're, what they're doing and uh, and also like you said there's so many different use cases of of data science you know some that are uh, particularly you know, the decisions that are being made off the back of the algorithms that are being written are particularly uh, critical decisions. Um, and then you, you enter into this sort of ethical debate about at what point, you know, what, what kind of use cases, what kind of situations and scenarios should there always be some form of human input versus actually allowing it to be um, you know, written by a decision to be made by um, you know, um, an algorithm. Um, so it is actually really, really interesting. And then you enter into this whole philosophical debate about, you know, what is actually AI and, and, and um, intelligence and you know, what it is to kind of have sentience. And I don't know, it, it is very difficult. And I think it's a domain that I say is, is still fresh, is still sort of so, um, even though a lot of concepts have been around for a long time, you know, bundled together into this sort of package of, um, I guess, really since the rise of sort of true, true machine learning, that's kind of really where data science, I think, has sort of kicked on. Um, I think it is still sort of playing through and waiting to see kind of, um, you know, how it all pans out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, one of the areas that we, I guess, are always interested or when I'm speaking to MDs and CEOs about data science, you know, it's one of those things that everybody knows they should be doing it. But in many cases, they're not too sure why they should be doing it or actually what problems necessarily are going to be solved. And, um, yeah, I've had the conversation with a number of CEOs where they're talking about, you know, seeing ROI on a data science function. And I guess something like actuarial um, science and, and just yeah, it must be quite tangible, quite measurable in terms of actually what data science techniques can bring to the table and actually, you know, what difference it does make, I guess, in terms of the output and, and the results for an insurance company. But in many other industries where it's maybe not quite so immediately obvious and, and uh, you know, calculable straight away, um, a lot of companies do struggle with this concept of, you know, innovation and R&D versus demonstrable real world value, you know, what's actually being driven from a data science team. So how do you see that relationship panning out between you know, R&D, prototyping, new, um, you know, new, new sort of uh, research versus the need to actually demonstrate real world demonstrable value from, from a data science function. Yeah, I think um, from, a, from a business perspective, like pure research and development, so research for research sake, there's, that, I, I would say there's probably not really any uh any space for that really you, you know you've you've got your uh you know your universities your research teams uh your ngos that are gonna i, I think that they rightly focus on that but for 
a company, ultimately they are beholden to their shareholders usually, and they have to make decisions and do projects that are ultimately going to provide return on investment, as, as, as you rightly say. Um, but that doesn't mean that there is, that obviously doesn't mean there's no space for innovation. That doesn't mean there's no space for research and development. Um, I think it's, it has to be thought of in terms of risk versus reward um, and you've got where where you've got a where you've identified a use case that has the potential to you know re really uh, streamline your processes or you know really save you a bunch of money or win loads more business or wh whatever it is then I think it's it's usually well worth the effort to investigate that because I think you either succeed or you learn um, or well, pre preferably both. But even if you don't succeed, then you will inevitably learn. And, and when you can have a long-term business strategy that puts data science or puts data at the heart of its strategy, then you building up that experience within your business and within your people uh, is going to definitely pay off um, in the in the end. Uh, I think uh, just talking about my specific experience, you, you've said, you know, the, it's a very easily demonstrable um, use, ca use case uh, where it's easy to, to demonstrate the value and just sort of talk about that a, a little bit more. Um, so I think a lot of data science, maybe new sort of data science teams being spun up, or as you say, people wanting to start doing data science, um, but not necessarily knowing how. I think you often... Uh, are in a situation where your first 20% of effort gets you 80% of your uh, benefit. But I am in a very different situation where everyone's got, everyone's had pricing models for 10 plus, 10 plus years. Um, but it's about trying to eke out not just the 80 to 100%, but actually the 99 to 100%, because mm. you, you can, you can, I've seen uh, papers demonstrating the link, the the explicit and implicit link between the performance of your models measured in a metric such as Gini coefficient um, and the loss ratio of your company, so the profitability of your company. And, and that link is something that we um, observe uh, when we deploy new models. Um, and it's something that can actually be sort of borne out through a simulated market as well. So that's uh i mean it's quite uh different to your original question but i think it's a very hopefully a very interesting alternative perspective on, on that sort of thing yeah yeah definitely i mean let's go back to the point i was making earlier i mean i can gen i can genuinely see how you know like because you're working with very mature kind of data and, and models already just it one of the, one of the kind of frustrations i guess that i, that I hear very often from uh, data scientists in, in the market is you know the, the work they're doing they never actually see really translating through to real world impact or you know a lot of the lot of the stuff they do it just always gets caught up r d stage and you know never actually makes it through to being applied into any kind of useful form of um of algorithm etc and um i guess that's good in many ways because if you've got a company that's, that's sort of happy to continue to have a data science uh, function functioning without any rules <laughs> they've clearly got a lot of uh, faith and value you know faith in the, in the concept that it's going to come through at some point but um but no, i can imagine just how um you know fulfilling and satisfying it is in in your world to actually see it almost an immediate 
you know impact on uh, what you're doing and actually how quantifiable it is and the kind of uh, the difference it makes for, for what you're actually working on so yeah on, on, on the other side though i speak about you know trying to get from 99 to 100 percent um obviously when you're at that stage a lot of the things you try don't work um so it's yeah it's, it's not um it's not you know immediate business business benefit all the time um by, by any means okay, uh, yeah fair enough uh, yeah give yourself a bit of get, get out of jail free card there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, no, it's uh it's fascinating but i mean you meant i think, I think you, you know you put you meant there about um you know framing of failure i think that extrapolates out quite strongly to all areas of technology to be honest and, and businesses that realize that there's there is value in the journey um you know and actually r&d when things don't go to plan and don't work out that's not wasted um time wasted effort it's it's you know it's like thomas edison the light bulb isn't it it's, if you've worked out another way something doesn't work which gets you closer to the way that things do work so i think that's something that a lot of um a lot of sort of leadership and powers that be in many companies struggle with from a technical perspective really um getting that concept um so uh, yeah that's interesting but i guess on, on the note of, of sort of failure and, and mistake i mean what, what do you see what are the biggest mistakes that you see quite commonly in insurance companies um around their kind of data science practices are there any sort of core core ideas you can share there uh, yeah, I think I think the main one um, maybe ties in quite nicely off the back of that where we're talking about you know the, the value of, of learning um, and maybe even if things aren't successful, then you want to be able to learn from them. But also where things are successful, you need to make sure that you're learning as much as you can from them. So I think I, there's possibility to sort of overlook experimental design when implementing um, implementing these new solutions. So you know. You, you've been through the R&D stage, you've got something that you're pretty sure is, you know, you're, you're very sure that it's going to deliver value. Um, and then you just, you, you just deploy it and then, okay, so it's deployed now, but then how, how do we measure if it's actually adding value? And I think this is particularly poignant in the insurance case because there can be such long feedback loops where I sell a policy today, uh, I don't know how well it is performed um, maybe until two or three years time for, for everything for the dust to really settle mm. so yeah th thinking thinking really carefully about the design of your exper your experiments and being sure that you can monitor that and monitor the development of the benefit that you're getting over time is something that I think could be easily overlooked um, but it's something that you should really be thinking carefully about when when deploying something new and especially if you've got these sort of very long or difficult feedback loops um so that maybe i implement a claims analytics solution um and maybe i deployed it uh you know at, at the start of a global pandemic um so yeah cl claims volumes are through the floor but how can i possibly uh, and i can you know I, I can sell that as the, the new claims initiative having really good benefit, but how, how, how can you possibly uh, tell that when there are so many other conflating factors? I think you need to really be, be implementing AB a, a, trials with, with everything that you're doing with, with these sorts of things. Um, in other areas, I think you could probably be a lot smarter doing things like a, a multi-armed 
bandit uh, approach will allow you to learn probably at, at the at more of an optimal pace but that relies on the very quick feedback loops that you you, you can't have um for for when you sell insurance policies yeah yeah that's really interesting actually i never really thought about it that way with you know the whole feedback loop in terms of uh how uh yeah how quickly you can kind of assess uh uh success so yeah that's uh that's very interesting but um i guess the one of the areas i'm always really in, interested to talk about and and get feedback on irrespective of sector and domain is go back to your point earlier about whether there's kind of a standard that we can assess data scientists by um and, and like i said i think it's a difficult thing at the moment to, to do that until we really kind of actually get a full definition <laughs> around what a data scientist is but when you're you know working alongside other data scientists or hiring data scientists for your team um what are the traits you know, the most important traits that you feel quality data scientists should possess um in your opinion from your experience yeah, I think, um, as, as you said, um, there, there are myriad definitions of data science and what I need someone in my team to do is going to be different from, from the next person. But I think there is sort of one unifying theme um, probably across all industries in the 21st century um, that I've read a, um, a blog post on, on recently and that was sort of highlighting the importance of curiosity in the 21st century where it's... Uh, the, the main point of this was that so many things are becoming automated um, and really you have to be very careful that your whole career um, isn't being automated and that your decision making and actually your whole life isn't being um, just served up to you by someone else's algorithm and actually having the curiosity to expand beyond that and, and look beyond what is immediately in front of you and I think that is particularly important in uh, a data science field that is uh, a very fast moving uh, area of practice um, and where there are, you know, I, I don't think anyone could stay abreast of all the new papers and all the new bits of research that are coming out there saying uh, that are promising lots of value, but ha having that sense of curiosity of wanting to find out more and wanting to not just be not just be content with the way things have been done previously because that way of doing things will, will should become automated and so you need to be moving on to uh moving on to the next thing um mm -hmm. yeah it's a really great point actually because i always look at kind of traits like that you know curiosity things like almost like a, a mental muscle um that you, that you exercise and you know obviously the brain being quite plastic in nature and you know the neurons that fire together wire together and obviously the more you practice a certain trait the more likely you are to be able to continue demonstrating that trait and it's it's true i guess in the world that we live in where there's, there's data on tap you know and we're moving towards a convenience culture where everything is automated and you know i think you could, you could see quite easily how the need to be curious could could really be passed over by a lot of people and, and die out because kind of you've got everything almost equal. yeah i i think interestingly it actually it's actually demonstrated by sort of very standard interview questions as well in a recruitment process so typically you know what, what can you tell me about our company you're starting to talk about the uh, asking about some domain knowledge and maybe you're hiring a grad or someone you wouldn't necessarily expect so you know have loads of domain knowledge um 
but I think you, you can tell the difference between someone that has just uh, is treating it as a sort of due diligence exercise and just can quote back to you some metrics off of uh, or some information off of Wikipedia about your company um, versus the people that have actually had, had the curiosity to mm. understand why data science is important to to your company and, uh, and is understand uh, I mentioned at the beginning how I think that insurance is is an interesting has lots of interesting concepts from a mathematical and societal perspective so if someone's actually had the curiosity someone's curiosity has been piqued by that and they've gone away and thought more about that that really shines in in an interview um, and I, I see that those sorts of personalities are ones that really dive headfirst into the interesting areas of the team and really settle in well and uh, are the most successful hires I think yeah definitely yeah that's a really great point because I think that that also transcends um to just I think interviewing questions in general and you know being able to tease out in that kind of scenario like I said there it's not necessarily someone that's done the due diligence and is prepared to give you the, the perfect answer really you know that you're looking for it's actually more some you, you're trying to tease up the, the thought process aren't you and the kind of uh, the um like i said i guess the curiosity and, and just sort of how they how they genuinely think about things so uh, yeah that, that's always a sort of a question when i speak to a lot of uh, managers around their interview techniques and the questions that they ask it's it's really trying to differentiate between those that give the best answers and those that actually have the right thought process if that makes sense and yeah the right sort of uh like say curiosity problem solving whatever it is that you're actually looking for um that's uh that, that's the art to a good interview i guess isn't it and asking the right kind of questions so uh yeah fair enough well um well look, it's been absolutely superb speaking to you i've really enjoyed the the chat and uh, i think you share some serious value uh yeah, clearly very credible in your your particular domain and uh, yeah, definitely um, uh, some food for thought for me in terms of uh, just a lot of thought, things I've never thought about before, actually, specifically related to data science insurance. So, uh, yeah, I found it absolutely riveting. So thank you very much for uh, coming on and taking part today. And, uh, yeah, very much look forward to keeping in touch and uh, seeing you, you move on to all your, uh, your future successes in, in this uh, in this domain. No worries. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Um, yeah, as I say, I'm very passionate about uh, the data science and insurance pricing. And hopefully, uh, yeah, sounds like some of that has maybe rubbed off on you. So that's uh, definitely a success for me. <laughs> Good man. All right. Well, have a great weekend. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up again soon, hopefully. All right. Cool. Thanks very much. Okay.